We continue today where we left off last week. The book of Jonah, God's Word. Endeavoring to fulfill God's purpose in the preaching of his word. That we would all grow up in Christ. We offer you three questions to consider in response to the preaching this morning. We, of course, in Jonah chapter 2 have Jonah's prayer, and we'd ask you to consider what was the first priority? What was the first priority? What was of paramount importance? Where did Jonah's prayer have to begin? Secondly, how was it possible? How was it possible for the words of Jonah's prayer to be recorded, written down? I'm not implying there was an MP3, but that uh, at some point somebody wrote down the words of Jonah's prayer. How was that possible? That's the easy one, right? And finally, what did Jonah have to do? What did Jonah have to do to be saved? And I know Pastor Ben will extrapolate that for us. So we continue then where we left off last week. And so we have to go back to chapter 1 where we encountered this man Jonah, not given any uh, background on him except his father's name, that God calls Jonah, God, God, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, telling him, commanding him, that he should go to the city of Nineveh, a place that, that has, is so evil that, uh, that their evil has come before the Lord and God wants Jonah to go then to Nineveh and preach against their wickedness. Someone told me that I needed to be more descriptive of Nineveh's wickedness. Well, no, you don't. Just go ahead and think the worst you possibly can, and you're not quite there yet. Um... For, for those of you that have some sense of familiarity with the atrocities of war, Nineveh was the original atrocities. The plight of the un, un, underprivileged, the poor, the uh, women and children, just had the worst of it in Nineveh. Nineveh was, was one bad place. And God wants Jonah to go to Nineveh and there to preach, proclaim out loud before these wicked people that God's wrath has come against their wickedness. Jonah says, God, I know you're pretty smart, but you missed it on this one. I ain't going to Nineveh. And Jonah goes down, buys a ticket on a ship, leaving Joppa, 
going to Tarshish, a, a city that's far enough away that Jonah figures that God's not going to be there. He flees from God. Ship gets out at sea, a big storm comes up. Wait a minute, big storm didn't come up, did it? God sent a great storm. And the ship's tossed and the sailors are scared. Sailors aren't usually scared in a storm even. Sailors are a pretty brave lot. But this was a bad storm. This was a storm that, that God appointed. God appointed a storm to get their attention, right? And sure enough, God got their attention with this storm. And uh, they're, they're trying to... Uh, lighten the ship, throw cargo overboard, trying to drive the ship, get back to land, anything, nothing works, nothing works. And they finally, they finally figure out the captain goes down, Jonah, the passenger guy, is asleep down in the hold of the ship. Get up, pray to you. Who are you? Jonah tells him. I'm a Hebrew. And the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, the seas, is my God. And the captain says, well, pray to him that he might save us. And Jonah says, says the only thing that's going to help is that you throw me overboard. Well, one thing leads to another, and sure enough, they throw him overboard. And as we address these words from Jonah chapter 1 last, last Sunday, we encountered the term the sovereignty of God. And we're going to hear that throughout our reading, our study, our preaching from the book of Jonah. For we continue in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And so what do you know? Once again... Here we are confronted with the sovereignty of God. The Lord appointed a great fish. All that happens, all that occurs, and all events is all under the sovereign will of God. The Lord appointed a great fish. These things are, are not fate, not happenstance, certainly not guided by the stars. The Lord is working. The Lord was working in the days of Jonah. The Lord is working today in the lives of his people. And the Lord shall be working to bring about his purpose in his will for his glory. God is sovereign. Do you get tired of hearing that? Are you, do, do you get sick of hearing how God's in control of, of everything? Wouldn't it be much more interesting to talk about all the things that that you're in control of. Let me assure you, that is in fact 
the most popular approach to preaching in too many churches today. Let's talk about you. Or better yet, let's talk about me. You want to focus in on what you can do? You want to let's talk about how you can change the world? If so, you'll have to find some other book besides Jonah. If that's your intent, you're going to have to look somewhere else besides the Bible. And you'll have to find some other religion besides biblical Christianity. The triune God of Scripture is revealed in all of that book to be the sovereign God of all reality. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. It is an incredibly fantastic thing that Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of this fish. But the truth of this event is in fact verified by none other than the Son of God himself. For Jesus said, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus establishes these things first by his prophetic word and then even more powerfully by fulfilling that prophetic word. Back to Jonah. In chapter 2, verse 1, we learn that then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Remember our, our goal, our intent, our expectation from our consideration of the book of Jonah, as I said to begin with, is that we will, we will grow up we will mature, we will learn in the Lord. Do you hear that? Can you embrace that? Can you make that your heart's desire today as we sit here together with God's word between us? That you would be maturing, that your life, your spirit, your soul would be becoming what Christ, your Savior, would have you to be. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Now you know, those that know me and have heard me speak before, you know I'm going to key in on that word then. You've already figured out. Now Bill's not going to let that word go by. Then, right, 
a point in time, a word aptly supplied here that Jonah's actions are placed along a timeline. Then, that is, after Jonah had been in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, then, right? Then, after God had called Jonah to go and be his prophet in the city of Nineveh, after Jonah had decided he's not going to do what God wants, he's going to do what he wants, after Jonah has gone down and purchased with his own money a ticket to run away from God, after Jonah had got in the ship and a great storm had come and tossed the ship so the sailors were so afraid they throw Jonah into the sea, after God has sent a great fish that swallows Jonah and he's in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, then... You know, somebody asked me last week, very good question. said, why did the sailors have to throw Jonah over the side? Why didn't Jonah just jump? Well, I thought about that, and the answer is I have no idea. But it made me begin to wonder, and as I was considering chapter 2, and especially this word then, why didn't Jonah pray then? Why didn't Jonah pray when, when he was still on the ship? Until Violet, I miss her this morning. Three days, three nights, the belly of a great fish. This, this fine model of a man Jonah. Seems he must be a God-fearing man. The Lord, who's mentioned here time and again, is, is the Hebrew name Yahweh. It is the name of the God of Israel. It is the name that God gave to Moses to make him known to the people. He is the Lord I am Yahweh. For the Lord's own purpose, he speaks to Jonah, commands him to travel to a dangerous big city and preach against their sinfulness. While the Lord is Jonah's God, Jonah decides he is not the Lord's man. And Jonah follows the example of Satan's rebellion and says, I will. That self-serving proclamation, that self-aggrandizing affirmation, that self-satisfying protestation, I will. An example followed by men throughout the ages. But Jonah is thwarted in his stand for I will, and the Lord, Yahweh, accomplishes all that pleases him, and all that he appoints comes to pass. 
Three days is a long time when you're in the belly of a great fish, I think. Can't speak from experience. But it seems to me, and y'all know to be very, very cautious when a preacher says it seems to me. But it seems to me that's a long time, three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. Then Jonah prays. Is it fair to think that perhaps Jonah was fasting for three days and three nights? Don't know. What's it like in the belly of a great fish? I wouldn't think there's anything there to eat. I wouldn't think there's any drinking water. I imagine it's pretty dark. Not a pleasant place. Three days and three nights. Would you agree with me that at this point, considering all that has transpired, don't make me go through it again, considering everything that has occurred, would you agree with me that Jonah is a desperate man at this point? What else is Jonah going to do? What options does he have? Where can he turn? Then, Jonah prays. Jonah prays to the Lord his God, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life, the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head and the roots of the mountains, at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is the prayer of a desperate man. This is the prayer of a desperate sinner. For he says, it was out of the belly of Sheol I cried. 
I thought he was in the belly of a great fish. Well, in fact, he was. But Jonah speaks figuratively here of Sheol, that place that the Hebrews called the place where the body went, awaiting the resurrection. Jonah says he is in Sheol because he is awaiting the hand of God. He is awaiting the resurrection that can only come from the Lord his God. He knows that he is now where God has appointed for him to wait on the resurrection. Jonah really helps us to appreciate the gift of prayer, the gift of prayer for a desperate sinner. We often talk about prayer, particularly Ben and I, many times Kenny as well. And I have a, a sense that we as a people have a far too casual attitude toward prayer. I don't want to say anything this morning that discourages, discourages you from praying. But I would discourage you from this, this casual attitude that seems to be so common toward prayer. So often praying with no purpose. Praying because I'm supposed to pray. Praying with no agenda. Coming before the Lord with no expectations. And in no expectations, of course, there's no faith. These are the prayers that seem to be so common in our casual attitude. Jesus did not thus pray. For it was in the garden that Jesus prayed from the depths of horror at what was before him. Luke chapter 22, we read, And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus prayed with a purpose. Jesus prayed in faith. To his father in agony certainly not in desperation but Jesus prayed on the cross my God my God why have you forsaken me praying a sinner's prayer 
praying a sinner's prayer not, not for his own sin, praying a sinner's prayer not because of his sin. My God, why have you forsaken me? He had no sin. But rather, as he was experiencing the wrath of God against your sin and my sin. A sinner's prayer, the prayer of a, a desperate sinner, the prayer of a sinner that has nowhere else to turn, I think in, in popular psychology, it would be described as the one who has hit rock bottom. This is no casual conversation, but rather the sinner's prayer is a prayer of desperation. And it arise, arises, first of all, I believe, in calling out to the Lord. So it was that Jonah says, I called out to the Lord. In verse 7 he says, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Jonah's, Jonah's prayer begins with that which all sincere prayers must begin calling out to the Lord, remembering, calling to mind, bringing into the, into the presence of, of immediate attention the Lord. Hebrews chapter 11 reminds us that whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists. That's an important verse. It's an important verse for Christians in 2018 in Statesboro, Georgia. Jonah remembers, Jonah calls out to the Lord. He calls out to Yahweh, the Lord God who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah calls to Yahweh, the God of Israel, who led his people out of slavery in Egypt the Lord God who gave their enemies into their hands that they might possess the land He had promised. Yahweh, who called them to repentance when they departed from His way and forgave them when they repented. Jonah remembered Yahweh, the Lord of the prophets, the Lord of Scripture, who promised a Messiah who would take away the sins of his people. Jonah remembered God, true God, God as he had made himself known. It is holy God that Jonah has in mind. It is holy God to whom Jonah prays a prayer of repentance. I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. This does not sound like the Jonah of chapter 1, does it? 
This is a different guy. One of uh, one of my uh, one of our uh, witnessing techniques told us that we call this a life-changing experience. I believe Jonah had a life-changing experience. Jonah, Jonah has turned around. Jonah has done a 180. He's going the other direction. And in case you've never had a good grip, a good understanding of what the word repentance means, this is it. This, this changed Jonah, this new man, this different attitude, this different spirit, this coming before God with, a, with thanksgiving and a willingness to sacrifice. No longer I will, but now thy will. Jonah's thanksgiving and sacrifice are, are signals of his submission and obedience to God's command. Jonah repents of his spirit of rebellion and commits himself to the service of his king, the Lord God. We as God's people are likewise called to live lives of repentance and conforming to the call of God. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. A living sacrifice. A living sacrifice that forsakes self and devotes to the glory of the Savior's name. The desperate prayer of a sinner then raises the penitent supplicant out of de desperation to hope and faith. As Jonah prayed, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Desperation is not the end of Jonah, nor is it for any of God's children. There is hope for all. There, are, there is hope for all who live by faith. The beautiful words of 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what, we'll, what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. That's amen. That's, that's hallelujah work there, huh? There is no greater hope 
as, as deep as the desperation of this man Jonah was, are the heights of the glory of God's blessings upon his people. No greater hope than that we shall be like him. That we can grow up. Right? We can mature to the day when he appears and we shall be like him. Jonah. Jonah prays this prayer of faith and hope from the belly of a fish. From the belly of Sheol. The bottom of the sea. Jonah. Trust in the righteousness of God. We can trust in the righteousness of God. We may not be in such dire straits. Our desperation may not approach that of Jonah. But we too, in our situations, in our lives, in our day, we can trust in the Lord our God. For he is faithful. We trust in him. For he is faithful. For salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah prays, you brought me up. You brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah has no doubt of God's faithfulness, of God's forgiveness, of God's salvation. And the fact that salvation belongs to the Lord, I believe, is, is a great comfort to Jonah. Praying salvation belongs to the Lord has to be a, 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 a wonderful comfort to him there in his desperate situation. He's got, to be, he's got to be pleased. He's got to be happy. Salvation doesn't belong to the, to the armies of Israel or to their king. Jonah's got to be glad of that. Jonah's, Jonah's got to be happy that salvation doesn't belong to ship's captains and shipbuilders, ship's crews. Jonah's got to be pretty happy about that. And that salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah has to be very, very, very happy that salvation does not belong to him. Salvation is not, not by his hand. Salvation is, is not by, by, by his good works. <clears throat> Jonah, Jonah knows. Jonah has a certainty. <laughs> he cannot save himself. And as we look to God's word and consider 
this book of Jonah, this account of the life of this man Jonah, we too rejoice. That salvation, that my salvation, rests not in my own hands. Rests not in any other hands. But salvation belongs to the work belongs to the Lord not of works lest any man should boast Jonah Jonah's a changed man this is a different guy a new life new spirit new attitude new outlook he prays a sinner's prayer. The prayer of a man who knows himself to be a sinner. A man who knows that, that he has failed. A man who knows that he is without hope in this world. Jonah prays a sinner's prayer. The prayer of a repentant sinner knowing that his only hope is in the Lord, trusting only in the righteousness of God. Jonah prays in humility. It's a hard thing. It's difficult to pray a sinner's prayer of desperation. We have we have been convinced of our own goodness. Now, I'm not going to elaborate on that. Catch me later on if you need it. But we have been convinced of our own goodness. We have, to, we have to think, how could God possibly condemn such a good person? How could God not love me? How could God not love us and forgive us because our, our sins are so small? Our petty little transgressions. How could surely God can forgive those? And so how easily we fall for the charlatan selling us on ourselves. God wants you to live in the lap of luxury. God wants you to be rich. It's a popular message. <clears throat> but I wonder... Is it, is it possible that God would want me to be rich even though Jesus said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God? I'm just saying. How difficult it is for us to pray 
a sinner's prayer. When we know, when we know in fact, most people are far worse than me. Jesus understood this problem, spoke of in Luke chapter 18. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For anyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I wonder, I wonder at times how tiresome our prayers must be before God. Thankfully, Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. The desperate sinner's prayer is a prayer that God answers. The desperate sinner's prayer is a prayer that God longs to answer. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. God answered Jonah's prayer. As God answers all prayers, answering according to his purpose in his will. You know that God answered Paul's prayer. Paul had an affliction, unspecific. He says, I prayed to God three times that he would take this affliction away from me. And what was God's answer to the prayer? God tells Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. God answers prayer. God answered Jesus' prayer. We mentioned Jesus' prayer in the garden. Certainly, God answers Jesus' prayer. Jesus suffered and died on Calvary's cross not for his own rebellion not for his own sin but for our sin but God answered Jesus' prayer for just 
just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so was the Son of Man three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the tomb was opened, and he arose. He arose to life, and the assurance to all who repent of sin, trust in him that they too will live. Will you pray a sinner's prayer? Desperate in yourself, remembering, calling out to the Lord, repenting of sin and self-will, praying with faith and hope, Rejoicing in salvation from the Lord. Eagerly, faithfully, hopefully seeking His answer to your prayers of desperation. Our Father, how good you are to us. Forgive us, O Lord. Thank you for the gift of life. In Jesus' name, amen.